and welcome to Out of Left Field, live from the Farm Bureau Studios here in downtown Startwell. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield, and stayed off to a 2-0 and start here in the 2021 season. And, Charlie, you can't win all 12 if you don't win the first two. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess you can go back at those first two, talk a little bit about style points, and if you're happy and sad, however you look at it, bottom line, you won them. And that's half the battle in sports, right? No, that'd be all the battle. Yeah, it's what's about is are you winning? And so far, two and zero. Oh. So Farm Bureau go with a home team. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. Farm Bureau, the, they get the best rates, but not just the best rates, the best service. Anytime you have something go crazy, you don't want to be calling a one eight hundred number, needing a check in a hurry. Talk to somebody that you know. That's a Farm Bureau agent located in all these communities across the state of Mississippi and go with a home team. And, of course, we are in the Farm Bureau studios. Charlie, a 24-10 win over NC State last week after coming from behind and winning 35-34 against La Tech a couple of weeks ago. And I guess really the thing that stands out to me is how well this Bulldog defense continues to play. And after we've had a few days to digest what went on in that game on Saturday. Now, the thing I look back at, and, of course, we talked about all this on Sunday Coffee. If you look back at the difference in Louisiana Tech and NC State is Louisiana Tech took advantage and was able to hit some plays over the top. NC State had some opportunities, did not hit them. But I think a lot of that had to do with the pressure that the front seven put on the quarterback all day long. That goes hand-in-hand hand together. Defensively, this is a team that continues to get better. When you go back and you look at football games, it's amazing how often even a wide margin can be explained by just a few plays. Mississippi State, the line of scrimmage, just dominated that football game this past weekend. I thought they were in control of the line of scrimmage. But then you go back and you say – Boy, there was a couple of throws that NC State had a chance to connect on, and they couldn't do it. If they connect on one or two of those, how does that change the ball game? How much more pressure does that put on your offense? How much more pressure does it put on you on defense to back some guys off the line of scrimmage, give them more help deep? All those things can interfere or kind of change the way a game is played, but Mississippi State kind of at least defensively won those big plays. You know what I took from Saturday night is we all kind of wondered after last year when you had very limited capacity and it was really not the same game day atmosphere. You didn't have any tailgating last year. You kind of wondered what it would do to this season. And you wondered what people would be like coming out of the pandemic, coming to sporting events. And, yeah, the crowd wasn't as big as some of the non-conference games and some of the night games we've had in the past. And I know we played the first game of the year. This was our second home game this past weekend. But the first one was at 3 o'clock, and it was hot. But you finally got that night game experience. And what do we always say? You know, in today's world, you know, of course, state folks will tell you that the rival is Ole Miss. But from a college football standpoint and from a sports standpoint, we've always said that the rival is that, you know, 70-inch screen TV and sitting on the couch and the ability to stay at home. But here's what I took from Saturday night. of Sitting in the stadium, the crowd was alive for most of the game, the cowbells were ringing, is you just can't replicate that. And you keep asking yourself, why do we enjoy sports? And why are we so addicted to this college game? Saturday night at a college sports football venue 
is why we're addicted to this game. It's not about just the third down plays. It's about the atmosphere and living it. And that's what I've missed. That's what I missed. And going back and watching that game and just remembering what it felt like, you just can't replicate that sitting at home. And, man, I tell you what, I look back at Saturday night, man, that was just so much fun. It was a lot of fun. You go back and, look, we've had some of our downtimes, too, at Mississippi State, obviously, where you bring in a Power 5 opponent and you think, we're not going to be able to handle this that well. West Virginia. Oregon, you know, you can go through a pretty good list of those. Cooling jerseys. Oh, wait, Maine wasn't power five. Never mind. So you go through some of those, and I'm always intrigued when you have that big-name matchup. How are we going to do? I thought the crowd wasn't as big as you would have hoped, but it was certainly an improvement over last year, and the students were really into the game. I thought the student section, uh, we're going to have to work on ringing cowbells while we're trying to run a play. That's something we're going to have to work on a little bit. But, you know, right now, it's kind of like George Carl used to say with his basketball teams. I want a team that plays out of control, and then I'll bring you back. I don't want a team I have to push. So I want a student section that's a little bit loud, and we got to rein them back in. So Is that the same way with a football team, too? That's kind of how I feel with this week. Because it was almost like the first week you come out against La Tech – it was almost like you were lethargic. Now, La Tech had a lot to do with that, especially in the second and third quarters. But I, I thought you could really tell a big difference in our team in Saturday night's game against NC State about the want to, about having to be there, about getting up and ready to play. And in the back of your mind, and we'll talk about this later in the show, about this weekend, You know, Jackie Sherrill, Coach Sherrill would, would say a lot of times, hey, it's hard to get teams up an exponentially amount of times over a season. And you wonder about being up for a game, about it being a night game, and now you're going on the road, and now you're playing a 3 o'clock in the afternoon game. It's going to be hot, artificial turf. Memphis has got a good offense. Is this a trap game for State? It shouldn't be. I feel like if you were going to have a trap game, you kind of survived that in week one. We showed up, we weren't ready to play, and you hope the thing that is left from that. I say we weren't ready to play. We weren't ready to play a full game. Okay, we, we checked out in there, and you can say it was because of a lot of tech, what have you, but nothing. There was just no energy for a period of time, whether coming from the sidelines, the stands, or anything else. That was better last week. I will say this. If we go to Memphis and we don't in our first road game, in a game against a team that's been pretty good lately, come out with energy and come out with excitement with LSU and kind of trying to build on some momentum kind of sitting out there, I will be really disappointed because my belief is you've kind of had your trap game excuse already. All right, Charlie, on this week's show, when we come back, we'll talk to Rocky Felker, who, of course, was a longtime head coach at State for five years, 86 to 1990, came back and worked in the athletic department for a long time, worked in the football office for a while, came back in 01, working in the football office. He's now been in the Bulldog Club, what, three or four years now. It's great to have Rocky back. But, of course, he was the 1974 SEC Player of the Year And one of the greatest all-time wins for Mississippi State was a come-from-behind 98, 99-yard drive that they had to come back and beat Memphis, went for two in the final minute. And that was just a big moment for Mississippi State in 1974. We'll talk to Rocky about that when we come back. We'll also talk to the King Jerry Lawler, Jerry the King Lawler of wrestling fame, of course, a Memphis native. It'll be good to talk to him, and he's got a big event going on uh, in North Mississippi on Saturday, and so we'll talk about all that as well. Once again, thanks to our great friends at Farm Bureau. 
We are in the Farm Bureau studios right here in downtown Starville. Back with more, you're listening to Out of Left Field. Yeah, welcome back to Out of Left Field. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. And this segment brought to you by our friends at Trax Plus. Trax Plus, you have four locations. One in Hickory, one between here in Columbus. They've got one in Summit and then in Alexandria, Louisiana, Trax Plus. They've got that Barco equipment for the Foresters. I was talking to a good friend of mine, Jason Watson, the other day over in South Carolina. And he was like, man, I appreciate you guys giving the forestry world it's due here. And he said, that Barco equipment is fantastic. And then you've got the Saney equipment as well. And Charlie and I are going to be at the Mid-South Ag Show on Friday where Chris Weems and the gang will be there, and they will have all of this forestry equipment. They'll have the Saney excavators, and they'll have bulldozers. They'll have all kind of things. And Charlie is going to drive an excavator. Is that right? Well, negotiations are being had. We are, we are going to be there, and Charlie will drive one of those. And, of course, this segment brought to you by our friends at Trax Plus. And joining us now he was a head coach at Mississippi State from 1986 to 1990. He was back on staff 2001 until, well, he's still on staff a little bit. He's across the hall from me. But, Charlie, in 1974, this guy sitting right here was the SEC Player of the Year, and we're talking about our good friend Rocky Felker. Hey, appreciate you joining us. Yeah, I look forward to it. Okay, so first and foremost, I have been told by you that I need to apologize to you in a public <laughs> setting because, when Charlie, when we were talking about on the pregame show, we were doing the pregame show a couple of weeks ago. What's this we stuff? No, we were talking about Louisiana Tech and about how Louisiana Tech was near and dear to Rocky's heart. But Hey, you beat Louisiana Tech in 1988. We did, thankfully. And, and you said that we were making fun of you. And so we were not making fun of you. I just want to let you know that, okay? So I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings, okay? Because I came in on Monday and Rocky said, Wait, that's not apologizing for what you did. That's how I deal with my wife. It's like, I'm sorry if you took it wrong. Yeah. But that's, no, an apology means I'm saying I did something wrong. Well, I'm not sure we did anything wrong, but okay. I'm, just, I'm just trying to placate the feelings here. I'm sorry if you couldn't handle it. All right. Hey, the thing I guess we wanted to talk about first was in 1974, looking back on a trip we made to the Liberty Bowl in 1974, when people look back at big memories and big moments of Mississippi State football, they think of that 99-yard drive. They think of the two-point conversion. They think of us beating Memphis in 1974. But before we get to that drive, before we get to the two-point conversion, let's set the scene a little bit. It was 98 yards. Was it 98 yards? See, I was trying to give you a yard on that deal. I was trying to make it a really big-time drive. 98 is not a whole lot, Rocky. Okay? So going into that game, take us back to the overall scene going into that. What made that game so big going in? It was big for me because I grew up in uh, Brownsville, Tennessee, in West Tennessee. And Mississippi State and Memphis had not played in about 10 years since the, I believe, the uh, – catches if you can game when Mississippi State was four and oh and a song came out, catches if you can and and uh we got caught by Memphis that night in Liberty Bowl Stadium and 
1966. I promise you, they they wore us out. Sounds kind and we of didn't like win, a, and we didn't win another game. So what I'm learning here is that songs and bandwagons and other props are not useful. <laughs> I wonder where that bandwagon is. Where is that bandwagon? <laughs> so so it was like the the un Super Bowl shuffle is what you're trying to say. Right, right. So anyway, uh, you know, you look back. It was a big game for me because I was. Uh, Grew up in Brownsville, Tennessee. Memphis was down the road. I've been to Liberty Bowl Stadium numerous of times. Never played against the University of Tennessee. And this was the only time I was going to play against Memphis. And I had been in that stadium to see Archie Manning play Memphis three or four times. Been in the Liberty Bowl. You know, so it was, it was a big homecoming for me. And then uh, when you look at Mississippi State's success over the, the decade of the 60s, and, you know, we went to one bowl game. Mississippi State fans were hungry. I mean, it was they had pretty much lost hope. And Coach Tyler had come in in 1973. You know, we didn't win more than we we lose that lost that year. And uh, so the '74 season, the way we started out, the big game was we beat Georgia's second game of the year in Jackson, just really beat them bad, which nobody saw coming. The Vera offense was put in that year, and and uh, and we were clicking with it and. You know, it really was the first time Mississippi State fans had a reason to, to ring the cowbell, to be excited about Mississippi State football. Hadn't, hadn't been a bowl game in 10 years. Hadn't won nine games since 1940 or 41. Or 41. Today, I mean, I've had people on a regular basis come up and they tell me where they were when we won that game. People know where they were when, when, Alabama, when we beat Alabama in 1980. Or when Burt Masters hit the home run, when we beat Connecticut in the women's basketball a few years ago, and the, if you're old enough, people will remember as that as a as a highlight of their watching football over the years of where they were when we beat Memphis 29-28. You know, in today's world, we think about kick the extra point, go to overtime. Back then, it would have been taking a tie, right? That's right. Was there? Any, what was the discussion? So you, you score the touchdown into the game. It's 28-27. We can play for the tie, play for the win. What was the discussion? Was there a timeout call? Did y'all talk it over? Yeah, there was. Uh, okay, we, we had uh, during the game. It was a back and forth game. We have the lead. They they have the lead. We have a turnover. They they score. And so the bottom line is they they punted the ball and it went out of bounds on a two yard line with three minutes and seven seconds left. And uh, we're down 28 to 21, 28 to 21. We're seven points behind. We're in our end zone, huddled up, and we say, hey, guys, we've got to go all the way. So the first play of the, of the drive, it's a 13-play drive, three minutes and seven seconds or left. First play of the drive, we run the triple option to the left. Dennis Johnson had had a great game that game. I think he gained about 200 yards rushing. Walter Packer, I tried to get it in their hands as much as I could. <laughs> so there was a option pitch to the left i kept it pitched it to packer and it was kind of a late pitch and kind of a high pitch and he reached one hand up caught it could have been fumbled and all of a sudden he accelerated and he almost went 98 yards with it but he first play he's out to about the 30 about a 25 yard gain and then there's another 12 plays that there's a mississippi state book that has play by play by play in it that describes and just a combination of Dennis Johnson uh, breaking and running 20 yards with it, Stan Black making a third down catch over the middle. And the big play was we threw a pass around the 20-yard line going in, and Melvin Barkham went up for it. 
he was the only person that had a chance to catch it. Of course, you know, I was pretty accurate with my throws. <laughs> <laughs> and he went up and made a – but he did make a great catch, got tackled at the two, and Dennis Johnson run, runs it in. We hand it off, and Dennis runs it in for the touchdown. So it's, it's, we're trailing by one now, 49 seconds left, and we call a timeout. And back then, you didn't you didn't really prepare for two-point plays. Now, now in college football, you've got about – game plan with all the overtimes that we've had over the years you probably have about five or six two-point plays that you really believe in and i tell you what too as the cowboys showed last week 49 seconds is an eternity in football today compared to then no doubt no doubt we scored we really did score a little bit too quick because memphis had a really good offensive football team and that was a good team they went seven and four that year Beat Ole Miss. So Memphis, that was, you know, that's one of the things, too, I think that's probably changed a lot about football. I'd be interested in your perspective on this. People forget now, they say, they look at a Southern Miss or they look at a Memphis, and the gap between leagues, much, much different now than it was right. in the 1970s. No doubt. They they had a they had a few Mississippi players on the team that were really good receivers. And uh, in the 60s, you know, they, they were they had their moments really, really good. And every year Ole Miss would play them opening game of the year. You know, Memphis won, won a few of them, I believe. And, and particularly that year, they were they were explosive. So on the two-point conversion, you essentially just walked in. No, we walked. I go to the sideline, and we did not know. We were not prepared to know what our two-point play was going to be. And we were a triple option offensive team. We were a team that when the quarterback – when Coach Tyler told me we were going to run triple option back at the beginning of the year, he said, you, we're not going to block two of these guys over here. You're going to read the first one, either hand it off or keep it. If you keep it, then you got an option of whether to run it or pitch it. That's the triple option. So we were a triple option team. You would think we would run the triple option on, on, on down in that situation. But Coach Garrett, Charlie Garrett, told Coach Tyler, no. Let Rocky run the ball. Give the ball to Rocky and let him get it in the end zone. Don't give him a lot to think about, whether to <laughs> hand it off or keep it or pitch it. This is give it to him and let's run right. So we ran a play that we hadn't run the whole year, a quarterback sweep right. So when you came to the line of scrimmage, did you look over the defense and say, okay, we're going to run a quarterback sweep. I'm going to score right here. I mean, was there something that you looked over the defense and said this is going to be open, or was it one of those deals where when you took out running saying, oh, my golly, they're not going to catch me? <laughs> well, what was it like? I mean, was it was it, when did you know that you were going to have success with that play? Was it when it was happening? When my feet were in the end zone. <laughs> <laughs> they're know, not stopping me. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting how things change in people's memories because I bet that most people who go ask, they think of that being an option play that Rocky kept the ball as opposed to being a quarterback sweep. Right. You know, we, we line up in the off in the in the offensive set we we line up in most of the time, which was wide out to the right, wide out to the left, a split back backfield. And Vitrano's in there now and um and Packers behind the left guard. So I gotta let them get in front of me. So I I come out, I roll out and like I said, we don't we didn't we didn't run this play the whole year, so I lined and really not know how to block it, and they didn't block a soul. Nobody blocked. I've seen lines any, like that before too. Nobody blocked anybody. The, <laughs> the defensive tackle came unblocked in the backfield, and Fatrano he reaches for me and grabs Fatrano's face mask. So we go up there this weekend, and I know 
we haven't played Memphis at Memphis just a whole lot. Right. When you see the the schedule come out and you see Mississippi State going to Memphis, is that the first thing you think of? Is nineteen seventy four on that field? It is. I mean, I, I've been in that stadium many times since then. I coached at Memphis. Uh, you know, I got I, I go to that end zone. Hey, so I know I know exactly <laughs> what that, what end zone that is. She so just wandered down there. It has meant so much to me over the years to have Mississippi State people, and you got to be old enough to have been there, come up to me and say, hey, this is where I was when you scored. I mean, that has been a humbling experience every time it happens. Hey, appreciate you joining us. All right, thank you all. And that's former Bulldog head coach and 1974 SEC Player of the Year, Rocky Felker. And that conversation brought to you by our friends at Trax Plus. Trax Plus, they've got that Barco equipment for the Forester. You've got the Rayco, you've got the Saney equipment for all you construction guys out there that are looking to clear some things out. And like I said, we're going to get Charlie on one of those excavators on Friday down at the Mid-South Ag Show. So when we come back, we'll talk to the king, Jerry Lawler, right here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Yeah, welcome back to Out of Left Field, and boy, what a great conversation with Rocky Felker. Reliving the memories of 1974 when the Dogs went to Memphis and knocked off the Memphis Tigers 29-28 with that big two-point conversion, less than a minute to go. That was Memphis State back then, by the way. Yep. We've just about gotten that changed over, hadn't we? Completely gotten out of Memphis State now. I don't find myself saying that nearly as much as I used to. That was a big deal when they rebranded as the University of Memphis. Remember that? that was oh, a, yeah. That was a really big deal. And so great to talk to Rocky. And, hey, now we've got another guy we're about to get on the line right now. Charlie, you talk about royalty in Memphis. Is this guy, Jerry the King Lawler. And we're going to talk to Jerry the King Lawler in this conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, Mississippi-made product down on Highway 49 in Florence, Mississippi. Everything they do is first class. It's the lean cuts of meat, lean cuts of the pork, nowhere near as greasy as a lot of the other brands of sausage, and it's just good, good stuff. You can't beat it. The original, the jalapeno cheddar, all these brands that they have now under that country-pleasing umbrella are just simply phenomenal. And so we're going to talk to Jerry the King Lawler in this conversation brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. And so let's go to the phone. And, Charlie, when I think of Memphis, Tennessee, I think of two guys. One is Elvis Presley. The other, Jerry the King Lawler. And he's right here with us. And, King, tell you what, you, uh, you've, hey. got a, you've got a big weekend coming up this, this next weekend. I really do. I mean, you know, you talk about Memphis wrestling, and this is probably uh, – there haven't been a lot of big weekends in Memphis wrestling, but this may be the biggest of all. I mean, we are doing an event – uh, that is going to involve a live wrestling show plus a huge meet and greet at the fifth uh, right outside of Memphis, and it's in Tunica, Mississippi. So, uh, and we're bringing in some of the top names ever in the history of wrestling. It's going to be an awesome show. And let, let me give you just a little rundown of some of the guys. This is just a, some of the guys. Kurt Angle is going to be there. Bill Superstar Dundee, Arn Anderson, Sergeant Slaughter, Demolition, Lex Luger, Thunder Rosa. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Scott Steiner, Big Papa Pump, Scott Steiner's going to be there. <laughs> uh, Dave Brown, who is our longtime announcer on Memphis Wrestling. Coco Beware is going to be there. Tommy Rich, 
Doug Gilbert, me, and Jimmy Hart. So, uh, and that's just a, that's just um, half of the list of the uh, people that are going to be there this weekend. So it's going to be a huge event, uh, without a doubt. My goodness. I'll tell you this, you could make my day if you could put a good body slam on the mouth of the South while you got him up there. <laughs> well, you know what? He and I have become, it started out, we were friends. He started out as my manager back in like 1978 or something like that in uh, 79. And then uh, we had a, oh my gosh, we had a feud that lasted all the way through the 80s, especially when Andy Kaufman came to town and all of that sort of stuff. But now, uh, as of late, Jimmy Hart has become uh, a really good buddy of mine. And he's he's coming into town from Tampa, Florida on Thursday to do a little extra police. I actually am going to let him stay at in my guest room at my house. So that, that'll show you how far Jimmy Hart and I have come <laughs> since the glory days. That's awesome. We're talking to Jerry the King Lawler. And so this weekend, how often? often do you guys get a chance to do things like this? And, you know, Charlie and I have been on the golf course tour every now and then, so you, it's almost like you have the same guys going to different celebrity golf tournaments. How often do you have a chance to get all the guys, get the band back together to do something like this? Well, uh, certainly not very often, especially in Memphis or the surrounding area here in Tunica, Mississippi. It, it's a first-time ever event and the first time that we've had this many stars congregated with at one time in Memphis. I do travel around the country and do uh, – do some appearances. As a matter of fact, about three weeks ago, I was with Sergeant Slaughter and, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat up in uh, New Jersey at a Six Flags up in New Jersey. But uh, So they do have these sorts of events in, in different parts of the country at different times. But this is the first one ever in North Mississippi and uh, in the Memphis area. So we're really excited about it. I think it's going to be a great turnout. You know, you can almost hear the pride as you're talking about this in bringing this event to the Memphis and North Mississippi area. I think back over my life, and I've, you've always seemed to be such a big ambassador for Memphis. Why do you love Memphis? I mean, you've got restaurants there. I mean, you've you've been involved. What is it about Memphis that's just kind of latched hold of you? Well, I mean, you know, it's my hometown. Born and pretty much raised there. I, I was born in Memphis, and uh, up until I was seven years old. But here's a here's a little part of my history that a lot of people ask me about. When I was seven years old, my dad at his work got transferred up to Ohio, and we moved into a little city about 20 miles west of Cleveland called Amherst, Ohio. And we lived up there for eight years. So all of my formative years, I spent, uh, you know, growing up there in Ohio, right next to Cleveland. And then I became a huge Cleveland sports fan. They had The Indians had Rocky Colavito and players like that. And, of course, the Browns at that time had Jim Brown playing for them. And it's uh, 1964, and we won the uh, – we, uh, won the or the, uh, the Cleveland Browns, you know, won the NFL championship while I was up there in Ohio. So I became a huge Cleveland sports fan and have played one my entire life. So that's, that's my, that's my uh, attraction to Cleveland. But then we came back uh, when I was about 15 years old, graduated from Treadwell High School in, uh, you know, in Memphis and have been, there, have been there every ever since. And uh, got my start in watching Memphis wrestling and, and, and doing artwork and drawing some pictures. That's how I got into, got my foot in the door in wrestling. And uh, so, uh, you know, I've been, we, we had wrestling was a weekly event at the Mid-South Coliseum. I wound up wrestling every week at the Mid-South Coliseum for like 20 plus years. So, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's my home. It's near and dear to my heart. And, and it's always made me proud. I mean, when I wrestled all over the world, you know, when the introductions, it would always say, ladies and gentlemen, from 200, 200 weight, 234 pounds from Memphis, Tennessee, Jerry the King Lawler, and it was I was always proud to you know that they would uh, acknowledge the fact that I was from Memphis and kind of help put the name on the map. 
you know, one of the things that kind of struck me is is seeing how you got us started as being a DJ and a TV host. And then you work your way through, you're getting to wrestling. And now in the commentating world, how much do you attribute back to getting on the air? And talking, you know, Charlie and I are big radio guys. We've been doing this for a long time. But how do you attribute getting on the air and how that really helped you throughout your career? Well, without a doubt, that was the first thing that got me interested, not just in wrestling, but in being a part of the show business or the entertainment world from the get-go. I got uh, involved in in radio by being just a big fan of a, of a DJ who's still on the air now. As a matter of fact, he's a top DJ still in New York City. His name is Scott Shannon. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Scott Shannon. Oh, yeah. But he came through, he came through Memphis when I was just graduating from high school, and he was the biggest star in Memphis on, on radio. And he and I met through me doing some artwork for him, and uh, I just uh, got infatuated with the, with the radio business, and he helped me get a job at a radio station. So then um, the radio station I was working at, the wrestling show was advertising on there, and they would send some wrestlers around once a week to get interviewed. I got to interview some wrestlers on just like we're doing right now, except live in the studio. And uh, that was my first taste of, of seeing, uh, you know, those guys' lifestyle. And it just all finally, it all finally came together. And yeah, the, being on the radio and having that ability to get to dad or whatever it was it really, really helped me in, in the wrestling business. So, I mean, really, when you look back on my career, I'm probably better known for uh, my interviews and my promos and talking more so than my, my wrestling ability. You know, I never had a big muscle body or steroid body or anything like that. I just put... Uh, I could talk people into the arenas. How cool is it? I, I think back, Bart and I, we got to talking before we called you, and you get to thinking back as a kid, and I think of those Saturday mornings with you and, you know, the junkyard dog and all these things that were taking place as kids. And, and it looks like, you know, that was kind of a, a golden age of wrestling, and now there seems to be a renaissance with the popularity. But the thing that strikes me about it is that wherever I go, people still connect with those stars of the 80s. They still want to talk about the Junkyard Dog and Coco Beware and Ricky Steamboat. How cool is that to you to know that even though it's kind of at the height of popularity again, that people still remember the kind of generations that paved the way? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that is the main thing that has is, uh, you know, the underlying reason for having events like we're having this Saturday up in Tunica. Uh, I just did last weekend, I did an event similar to this, but it was a Comic-Con. I'm doing a lot of Comic-Cons around the country now. And, uh, gosh, the NWO, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, X-Pac was there, sitting next to Booker T on on my left. And, and that's the thing you hear from all of the thousands of fans that come to those things. The number one thing I hear is, King, you are the voice of my childhood. And that, that's what that's what resonates with people, you know, what they grew up with. And me and JR were on, uh, you know, we were on, every Monday night or every Friday night for Raw and SmackDown for 20 plus years. So, you know, these, these people that are, are that are adults now, we, we were just what he said, the voice of the childhood. And plus, and people that were also fans, even a little bit older, go back to remembering the days of watching me and guys like Junkyard Dog and Coke will beware wrestling on TV every week, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to, um, to, and, and you know what? I'm the same way. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of that sort of stuff, too. I love to see people that, 
I mean, like, I'm excited because the rock group Kiss is back on the road doing tours, and I can't wait to go see one of their shows because, you know, I remember seeing them in 1978 at the Coliseum in Memphis, and, and I, I was just a huge fan. And to get to go back and see them live again, it's, it's a big deal. And I think it's the same way for wrestling fans. We're talking to Jerry the King Lawler, and they got a big event in Tunica at Fitzgerald's on Saturday, 12 to 5 meet and greet, then 7 o'clock. So you're actually going to wrestle Saturday night. Is that right, Scott Steiner? I'm actually wrestling Big Papa <laughs> Funk. Scott Steiner and I was telling uh, uh, Booker, Booker T about it this past Saturday, and he said, oh, my gosh, King, watch out for the Frankensteiner, which, as you know, that was, his, <laughs> that was Scott's big finishing hole, and I'm going to definitely try to avoid that. And I told Booker, I said, well, he needs to watch out for the pile driver because I could still deliver a nice one. <laughs> and, and, and so it's, it's, it's going to be a big big match. It's, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have we have seven live matches that night, so it's going to be it's going to be a fun show. You know, I'm curious. I have people all the time tell me, hey, I'm going up to Memphis for a ball game or I'm going to be in the area. Where should I go? You're a longtime Memphis guy. Where? What is your answer to that question when people say, man, where do I need to go eat when I'm in Memphis? Well, without a doubt, you need to come down on world-famous Beale Street. Right next door to B.B. King's is the is Jerry the King Lawler's Hall of Fame Bar and Grill. And we search some of the best barbecue and, and catfish and all that good old uh, Memphis food. Right there at my, at my restaurant and barn grill on Beale Street, and it's uh, if you don't see any place else, that's the place to come see Beale Street. No doubt. Talking to Jerry the King Lawler, how much travel are you doing right now? What's your schedule like as far as traveling around, being a part of the of, of wrestling right now? Do you have a dead time, or is it just always three sixty five, just craziness? It's always three sixty five craziness. I'm so, I mean, I can't even. I can't even remember where I'm booked. I mean, I have to keep a book and look at it, uh, you know, almost every single day to see what else is on on the agenda for that particular week. I mean, you know, we've got we've got this show this coming Saturday. Last week I was in Stockton, California. I got the New York Comic Con coming up at the first of October, and the Providence, uh, Rhode Island Comic Con. I've got the WWE pay per view. I do all the all the WWE pay per views and uh, do the kickoff show. Me and JBL and Booker T do the kickoff shows on the on the uh, WWE pay-per-views. And so it's, man, it's, it's constant traveling all the time, at least without a doubt, every single weekend somewhere. You know, as crazy as your schedule is, do you ever get a chance just to sit down and watch a University of Memphis football game or watch the Grizzlies play? Do you, do you get a chance to keep up with any other sports? Hardly ever, unless I'm actually making an appearance there. I, I, I actually just got to go out, uh, Coach Ryan Silverfield is—he invited me to come out to the University of Memphis and uh, to visit with the team uh, during a training a couple of weeks ago. And uh, what an amazing facility! They gave me the tour of the facility there. It's unbelievable. And I got to speak to the team. And uh, actually, I don't know if I'll get to go to any games until the final game of the season when they play Tulane. They're going to make it a wrestling theme night, and I'm going to get to run out on the field with the team and lead the team out onto the field there at the Liberty Bowl in Memphis. I also, uh, like I said, big, huge Cleveland sports fan. Uh, I got to probably cost myself $2,000 taking a break during the the Sunday during the Comic-Con to go down in the green room and watch the Cleveland Browns and Kansas City game for about two and a half hours, and and, uh, what a great game that was. I'm thinking uh, that this may be the big year for my Cleveland Browns. They haven't won a championship since 1964, and I think they got the best team they've had since then. So uh, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll go to probably two or three of their games live. Uh, 
maybe I think September 26th they're going to be playing the Bears. I'm going to probably go up to Cleveland for that game. And so I, I, I every now and then get to get to sit back and, and enjoy other sports. Got to have a good quarterback today's NFL, Baker Mayfield. He's got the Browns rolling right now. So we've got a lot of state fans that are headed to Memphis this weekend. The game's at 3 o'clock. And so it gives you an I know. Here, here, here's what they need to do. They need to come on the way up. They need to stop by. Uh, they need to stop by the meet and greet at noon. Plus, you can see everybody and, and everybody and get an autograph picture made with everybody by one or one thirty, and then head sixteen miles right from there up to up to Memphis, right into Liberty Bowl Stadium, and go see the go see the game. Absolutely. Hey, we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk with us. Uh, my pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. The King, Jerry Lawler, Charlie, that was pretty cool. Yeah, 12-year-old Charlie's pretty geeked up about that. <laughs> that was, I mean, think about those Saturday mornings waking up, turning on Channel 5, you'd see Jerry Lawler plying his craft. You know what's really cool about that is what he said about that world is all about entertainment and what he took from being a DJ, a radio guy, and being able to really transform himself. And, hey, I went back and watched a lot of he, – he mentioned Andy Kaufman just a moment ago. And I went back and watched you know, Dave, the David Letterman show. When, oh, it's phenomenal. Uh, it's unbelievable. It's it's really unbelievable. Kaufman threw his coffee on him. He threw his coffee on him, and then, uh, and then Jerry the King slapped him on, on David Letterman. I mean, that whole feud or whatever, it was just – it was a different way of life back then. That was back in the early 1980s. That was good stuff. Hey, enjoyed that. And that conversation with Jerry the King Lawler brought to you once again by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage, a Mississippi-made product, something that you can be proud of. And if you're headed to Memphis, going to grill out before the game or getting ready for that LSU weekend next weekend, I tell you what, going to go ahead and give you an entire week to prepare for that LSU tailgate. Go down there and go in that storefront in the Country Meat Packers at the butcher shop. Get everything ready for next weekend's tailgate against LSU. Once again, that conversation with Jerry the King Lawler brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Charlie and I will come back with a final word. You're listening to Out of Left Field. And welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. We're in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown Starville. Great conversation with the King, Jerry Lawler. And now, Charlie, let's turn our attention to the Memphis Tigers this weekend. Hey, when I look at Memphis, this is a team that offensively is really, really good. You don't know what you're going to get on the defensive side. But before we jump into that, this is something we used to do a lot of. And you heard Rocky talk about that a little bit ago, about how we always played Memphis. And we don't play Memphis a whole lot, especially in Memphis. I kind of like this road trip. I, I do. I know it's a tough one, and you're always looking for someone you can beat in non-conference play outside that power five. But I love the trip to Memphis, and I love the trip to New Orleans because I think it's so great for our fans because we know where to go. We know what to do. You can have your things to do outside of the game. We just don't have a chance to do this this much. No, we've got a ton of fans up in that area too. You get up into that Olive Branch, DeSoto County area boy there's a ton of bulldogs up there remember the commercial appeal used to cover mississippi state a lot in football 
Instead of declaring ledger, but anyway. Well, yeah. So, remember when newspapers? Well, never mind. <laughs> so, no, you're absolutely right. This Memphis team, though, is going to be interesting. And I think it's going to be an interesting matchup from this perspective. You've got two young quarterbacks that are going to be on the field. Now, look, we have talked many times about Will Rogers having less experience than the guy that he's playing. That excuse doesn't work this week because you've got a true freshman going for Memphis. They had an injury at quarterback. And so Seth Hennigan has had to step in. He's from Denton, Texas. How about these similarities, by the way? Last week, Hennigan threw one pass more than 20 yards down the field. He threw a lot underneath. His dad's a football coach. He played for his dad. They threw it a lot in high school. And here he is playing as a freshman. So Hennigan, a guy, 6'3", 200, a freshman, he, he went to Denton Ryan. And the thing, that's about – I don't know, 30, 35 miles northwest of Dallas, I think it is. But the thing you got to know about that Dallas area football, they run some complicated offenses. They're very well coached, and there is a long history of good players coming out of that area, particularly quarterbacks. Okay, so Memphis is off to a 2-0 and start. They won their first week against Nichols, 42-17, to and then last week won 55-50 to on the road at Arkansas State. And, yeah, I mean, Memphis is right now top five in the country in passing and throwing a football. But you ask, have to ask yourself the question, what kind of heat did he see last week? He's a true freshman. And any time you start thinking about freshmen and then what defensive coordinators are getting ready to quote-unquote dial up, you kind of wonder what Zach Arnett's got in store for the freshman this week. Uh, you got to figure it'll be a little bit different than what he saw a week ago. And I'm not sure there was much of a defense of any kind on the field to be dialed up in that ball game. 55 to 50? That's uh, that's a lot of scoring. Let's talk about us offensively. You know, last week had a tough go of it early on, got better as the game went on, able to win 24 to 10 against NC State. I look at – and when we look back at the game on Sunday and looked at all the stats, it was kind of interesting to see Austin Williams having a deeper you know, depth of target than Jaden Wally. You kind of wonder what you're going to look for this week. I mean, is this going to be the breakout game – for Jaden Wally, is this going to be a breakout game for a Makai Polk and some of these other guys? You just wonder, you know, what Mississippi State can do offensively. You know, you want to get out to a really good start in this game because you really haven't got out to a great start yet. I know we scored 14 points against La Tech, but it wasn't a clean start. Going on the road for the first time, how big is it for State to get off to a good clean start? I think it's very important for this offense, wherever this ball game is being played, to get off to a good start because, look, these guys can read. These guys listen to what's going on, and there's no question that there are question marks around this Mississippi State offense, and sometimes those can kind of creep into your own psyche if, as a player. I think it's really important with LSU coming to town in the following week for Mississippi State to be able to go out and put up a, a big offensive performance. Hey, Charlie, before we talk further, hey, I got a text message on Sunday. And it was from a good friend of ours who sent a text and says, hey, are they doing that brunch and browse deal in downtown Startwell today? And I said, yeah, th they are. Well, I heard about it on your show. But once again, every Sunday, especially for home games, they have the brunch and browse downtown. And what they do is they open up all the stores in downtown Startwell. And so for all you nice gentlemen Nice ladies who are in town wanting to do a little shopping on Sundays. Just come to downtown Starwell. They've got a lot of different things going on 
on the Sundays after home football games, and that's a really big time for our local retailers. But, man, I tell you what, uh, Charlie, we talk about the Cotton District before and after games, the downtown area you know, coming alive, a lot of great restaurants in Starville right now. It's amazing how this place has really evolved over the last 10 to 15 years. And I talked to somebody who came into town last week, and they had not been to Mississippi State. They were a graduate, but had not been into town for the last 15 years. And they were like, my goodness, how much it has changed. Everything's clean downtown. They do a great job. And there's always something going on here in Starville. I'll tell you the thing I'm really excited about. It's not quite there, but it's coming. The baseball park that they're putting in. Yes. it's. I would have never known, and I expect you would echo me in saying this, till our kids came through and started going on the road and playing, what an economic engine things like baseball can be and youth sports and soccer and all those things. And the city of Starville has really committed itself to getting at the forefront of those activities. I can't wait to see all the people that that's going to bring to town. Yeah, it's going to go on the west side of town, kind of catty corner from Walmart on the west side of Highway 25. It's going to be a championship-style park, man. It's going to be a great sportsplex for travel ball has become so big. And what that allows you to do, too, Charlie, is when you're building those new you know, baseball, softball fields in that area, it allows you to go into your existing parks and really focus on your soccer and focus on the the other things in the town too. And man, I'm looking. We're only you know less than two years away now from getting that thing opened up, and it's going to be absolutely fantastic. And that's the great thing about having a part like that in conjunction with Mississippi State is you give people many reasons to come here to eat in your restaurants and stay in your hotels, and that's going to be a great addition, without doubt. Okay, so this weekend. Mississippi State and Memphis. Charlie, the hottest place I've ever been in my life for a football game was the Liberty Bowl. And, and the coldest. And the coldest game I've ever been in my life was at the Liberty Bowl. They've got some, some construction going on around the football stadium. And so be a little bit patient as far as your parking and whatnot. Make sure you have all your stuff together before you get to that area up there. But, man, hey, I tell you what, we've had some great times going to Memphis and going to football games and – that whole area, we were, I, I was sending a text to a group the other day. We were talking about going up there, and they were talking about Liberty Land. Did you ever go to Liberty Land? I never did. What? You never went to Liberty no. Land? They had the log ride? I've never been to Graceland either. I've been one time. I drove by Graceland. I'm not a, I mean, I'm not a huge Elvis guy. It was before my time. But anyway, th- that's kind of sacrilegious when you talk about Well, you're not hostile to Elvis. You're no, just I'm just indifferent, indifferent. Completely indifferent to Elvis. Hey, enjoyed it as always. It's a lot of fun today. It's a fun show. Jerry the King Lawler, man, got to start just like us. I think it's too late in our lives to start wrestling. Yeah, I think uh, a little past that. By the way, key to the game, keep the running back under 100 yards. Keep their running back keep under? Keep their running back under 100. We win the game. All right. So, Charlie will be back in uh, on Friday. We'll be, both be back on Friday. And we'll have our deep dig brought to you by Trax Plus. We'll jump into all these numbers. We'll have our two-minute drill and by two brothers and and just have all these deep dive stats for you. That's been a real popular addition to our array of shows. And then we'll be back on Sunday for Sunday Coffee as well, Strange Brew. We'll get some Strange Brew and come in here and we'll talk about this Mississippi State-Memphis game. So once again, thanks to our great sponsors, Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. We're in the Farm Bureau studios 
Tracks Plus. Charlie's going to drive that excavator on Friday, and let me tell you something. I'm going to film it, and it's going to be somewhere on social media. I can guarantee it. And then, uh, once again, thanks to our great friends at Country Pleasing Sausage and the city of Startwell, Mississippi's College Town. So, for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us on Out of Left Field. <laughs>